There is a uh, Christian leader who is Chinese-American. His name is Russell Shum. And Russell grew up in a Christian home, and he was taught two things beyond the basics of the Christian faith. He was challenged and strengthened in two areas. The first was to always work hard. And he did. He always worked hard. But the second that his father really impressed upon him, this aspect of character that is so critical, was simply this. Never consider yourself better than those around you. Even if you are successful in life, never look down on the people around you. In, his, in an article in which he was interviewed, he talked about this. I want you to just receive this image. He said, as the youngest child in my family, my job at Chinese banquets was to make sure everyone's teacup was kept full. My dad, without fail, reminded me at these meals to be alert to the needs of others. I think he took as much pride in seeing me serve food to dinner guests as he did in seeing me achieve good grades in school. I read that and I felt challenged as a dad because I really was big on the kids working hard and doing well in school. Now we worked on, on character, but this aspect of humility, the more I learn, the more I grow in my understanding of the scriptures, the more I grow in my own walk with Jesus, what I realize is how central, how critical the aspect of character we call humility is. It's necessary in our walk with God. It's necessary in our walk with one another. He goes on in this article, Russell describes the two characters, Mandarin Chinese characters, that make up the word character. And the first one, and you'll see it on the screen here, is Chang. And Chang is a character of a person who's speaking and holding two, two stalks of grain and holding them together. And the idea of this word is that it has to do with power that is under control. It has to do with power that is seeking unity among the group. And for there to be unity requires humility. And for there to be unity in your marriage, for there to be harmony in your relationships, it requires that both people or all the people engaged are committed to and practicing humility. The second word is soon. It's the word soon. And that particular caricature is of a little child who is walking and in that culture, in the Chinese culture, a child always steps behind the elders around them. They always promote and honor their elders. These are the two characters that make up the word, the word humility in, in the Mandarin language in Chinese. Now, I think that's incredibly significant. What I want to suggest to you this morning is simply this. If we are going to experience authenticity 
in our relationship with God, if we are to experience authenticity in our relationships with one another, then it requires that we be committed to humility. We be committed to being humble in our relationships. And we're going to see that this is the example that the Apostle Paul gives us in some incredible challenging teaching. He gives us and lays out for us the example of Jesus himself. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And what you're going to see here is a great challenge. He's going to challenge us to practice humility in our relationships with each other. And then he's going to lay out the great example of Jesus. And then some verses later, he's going to lay out the example of Timothy. Friends, what we're doing in this series is we're talking about how we can experience, how we can grow our relationships so that there's a deeper sense of connection and a deeper sense of harmony and a deeper sense of authenticity. How we can experience relationships that follow the example set for us by Jesus. I think there is far more that God wants us to experience. The problem is we are not living as he lived. We are not practicing his character in our relationships. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along as I read Philippians chapter one, I mean, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To be able to do that, we must humble ourselves before God. In order to experience and to live out the challenges of Jesus in this passage, we need to be able and willing to humble ourselves before one another. Now what we're going to see this morning is this is contrary to our sinful nature. Because of our sinful nature, we want to promote ourselves. We want to be better than the people around us. And we want them to know that we are better than they are. We see this in our world. We see this in churches. We want to be better than everybody else. We want to be esteemed. We want to be acknowledged. And so we are committed to our needs being met. We are committed 
to our interests being fulfilled. We are committed to people serving us. When Jesus says that is not the way to authentic relationships. Rather, we must deny ourselves. We must be committed to the interests and the needs of those around us. Now, how do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul walks us through a process, and here it is. The key teaching, and I'm going to share this with you because we're going to look deep into this passage, and as we do, I don't want you to lose the overall point of this teaching, which is simply this. When God sees the church, he sees us as a group of individuals, unique people. He created us to be unique, who despite our differences, are willing to show love for one another through putting the well-being of others before ourselves after the example of Jesus. This is what humility looks like in our relationships. And this is the path to authenticity, authenticity in our walk with God, authenticity in our connection with one another. And so we begin with, Paul gives us the motivation in order to do this, why should we even bother with this? Because it is contrary to our human sinful nature. So why should we do this? The motivation that Paul gives to us is that we would live according to what is already true about us. As Christians, this is already true about us. And so he says, therefore if, therefore if, therefore if... Simply, he is saying this, this is true about you, therefore, live this way. This is true about you. This is who you are as my child. We just sang a great song that we are children of God. We are recreated. We are, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus, which means that all of this that we're going to talk about is true about who we are, first of all. He says, if you have any encouragement with being united with Christ, what does that mean? When we become Christians, when we put faith in Jesus for our salvation, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, what we are saying is this, I am laying my life before you, Jesus, so that it is no longer I who live, as Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, but it is Christ who lives in me, Christ fulfilling his purpose in my life making me more like Jesus. Jesus was characterized by humility. And so we are to become more and more humble as we grow in Christ. He says, if you have any comfort from his love, we talked about the love of God last week, which is defined by this word agape. And what we see in this great picture is that when we live in Christ, we are living in the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is what frees us, hear this, it frees us from needing to have people serve us to feel good about who we are. It frees us from being afraid of people not accepting us, being afraid of people not loving us because we have the love of Christ which is pure, which is deep, which is healing. People have no power over us to manipulate and control us because we know the master. 
And we live in the master's love. And his love for us is unconditional. His love never gives up. His love empowers and his love frees. So I no longer need to build a wall around my life to keep people at a safe distance so they can't hurt me. Christ loves me. And I am free to love and to be loved. We continue and he says, if you have any common sharing in the spirit... All who believe in Christ have received God's spirit to live within us. It's the very same spirit. And so that spirit should be driving us to a deeper and more profound sense of unity. This is why God says that Christians should only marry Christians. Because you are coming together, becoming one in Christ. And as you are one in Christ, sharing the same spirit... There is deeper, more profound intimacy available to you. And then he says, if any tenderness and compassion in your heart. And so he moves from motivation. The motivation to be humble. The motivation to be something that the world says is weakness. To live this way in humility requires. It requires that we draw near to Christ and live out who we already are. And so here's the challenge. Because all of this is true, Paul brings this incredible challenge. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Can you imagine what that would look like in your homes, in your marriages? in your friendships, can you imagine what that would look like in the church of Jesus Christ? Well, let's break this down. Let's see what it is that he's saying. He's saying, be like-minded. Be like-minded. What this means is, essentially, that we, in the midst of our diversity as people, God has made us different. We are to share a common mind. We are to Seek to try to understand one another. To not promote people understanding us, but seeking first and foremost that we would understand one another. Friends, here's here's what it means. One of our six values comes right out of this passage. One of the six values of Cross Point Church is unity in diversity. Well, what does that mean? It means that God has made us unique. We are of different races. We are of different cultures. We are of different life experiences. We are from different economic circumstances. We are from different educational circumstances. We grow up and we see things differently. What Paul is saying here is, in the midst of our diversity, we are united in mind. By what really matters in eternity. We are united in believing that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. We are united in our belief that Jesus died for us on the cross. That he was sinless. And that he took our sin upon himself. We are united in our belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And ascended into heaven. And sits at the right hand of God the Father. This unites us. Now, there are things that are different about us. We may have different 
political persuasion. We may have different views on the return of Christ or different views even on baptism. We might have different views on things that are not central to the gospel. That should not unite us. That should not divide us. We are united in what matters eternally. But we will not allow ourselves to be broken apart by things that are not central to the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be like-minded. We may see music in worship differently. We may see uh, we may see how you're supposed to dress for church differently. We may see lots of things differently. But we are like-minded when it comes to the gospel. We are like-minded when it comes to how God is calling us to, to live in this world for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is critical for us as people. He goes on and he says, we are to have the same love. This is agape. There is one love that we have, and we are to love one another in the way that the scriptures call us to love one another. We are to be one in spirit with each other. We have the same Holy Spirit. We may not see everything eye to eye. We may not agree on everything because we are different, unique people. We have different gifts, different talents. We see things differently, but we create space for those differences. And we disagree in a way that honors Jesus, not in the way that is modeled for us in our world, as I'll share in a few moments. And we are to be of one mind. It literally means to be of one purpose. What does this mean? Well, in the context of the passage, it means that we are committed to living in humility with one another. We are to be humble in our relationships with one another. And in a moment, I'm going to define more about what that looks like. Well, then we come to the process. What does this look like in everyday life? Well, here is what Paul says. He says that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. We are never to be motivated. We are never to be driven. We are never to be pushed by a desire for selfish ambition or vain conceit. That is never to be what drives us. Rather, instead of that, in humility, we are to value others above ourselves. We are to look not to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. This is how we are to live in our homes. This is how we are to live in our friendships. This is how we are to live in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a far cry from what we see modeled for us in our world, and it's a far cry from what is natural for us in our sinful nature. Well, let's, let's look at this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, what that literally means is that it's seeking personal advantage. Hear this. It's seeking personal advantage irrespective of the impact that that is having on the people around us. It's making sure I get what I want and I don't really care about the collateral damage. It means that when I have a disagreement with my wife, what matters is that I win the argument. 
This is why people are dishonest. This is why people manipulate. Because if they live this way, they get what they want, regardless of the impact that it has on the people around them. What is, what is the fruit of living this way? The fruit of living this way is broken relationships. The fruit of living this way is jealousy and envy. The fruit of living this way is anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. Friends, we are not to live out of selfish ambition. We are not to promote ourselves. We are not to promote what we want in this world. Rather, we are to serve one another. It's such a different picture from what we are, what is modeled for us in our world and what our hearts just naturally desire. Then he says, then he says, do nothing, oops, there we go, do nothing out of vain conceit. Now, what is that about? Well, vain conceit is about having an inflated view of myself. It's thinking that I'm right and you're wrong. If you disagree with me, it's because you're wrong. I never take the time to listen and to understand because if it's not consistent with what I think, then obviously you're wrong. Vain conceit is about promoting my views and making sure that I'm always right. I'm, it's saying I'm not interested in what you think unless you agree with me. You can see the damage that vain conceit has on relationships. We power through people. If they, don't, if they don't think like we think, we reject them. We push them away. They're not part of my life anymore because they don't see things the way I see them. Friends, you know where we've come as a culture? And we see this in our political arena. What we, what we see is if you don't agree with me, not only are you wrong, but you're bad. We not only attack people's views, we attack their character now. If you disagree with me, then you are, you fill in the blank. This is what's being modeled for us in our world today for our children. And so we, it's okay to disagree with people. We will disagree in our marriages, in our friendships, in the church. We will disagree on things. That's okay. But we have to remember what matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what ultimately matters. Everything else is secondary. And so rather than... Just saying to people, well, you're wrong because you don't agree with me. We listen. And we seek to understand the perspective of the other person. We seek to value them by listening to what they're saying and to their views. This is not being modeled for us today. We're not seeing this today in our cancel culture. We cancel relationships if people don't agree with our perspective. That should not happen in the church of Jesus Christ. We see a third thing in humility, value others above ourselves. Can you imagine what it would look like if all of us were committed to what is best for the other person? Can you imagine what could happen? 
Can you imagine how beautiful that would be? I remember a pastor sharing with me that he was, um, he had done a wedding, he was at the reception, and somebody came up to the bride and said, wow, I think you're going to have one of those rare marriages, one of those rare 50-50 marriages, where each of you is going halfway to meet each other and to work. And the bride smiled and she said, well, thank you for that, but actually, we're not seeking a 50-50 marriage, we're seeking a 100-100 marriage where each of us is seeking to be the greatest servant in the home, where each of us in humility wants to listen to one another and understand the differences that exist and see if we can't help each other to understand. We may agree to disagree, but that's okay because we continue to love each other. But we understand and value the differences that exist between us. You know what I found so often, I'm entrenched in things, and then I listen, I realize, wow, I didn't fully understand the other position. I thought I did, but I really didn't understand. And all of a sudden, God is growing me. I'm becoming more because God has opened my heart to be humble and to learn from the perspectives of others. Look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want to give you some examples of this and of what I'm talking about here. Let me just give you some examples. It's choosing, what does all this mean? It's choosing not to build myself up by putting others down, right? It's not to promote myself by making you feel like you're less. It means being committed to the needs of someone even if they're not meeting my needs. It means committed to serving even if they're not serving me in return or even if it's something that's uncomfortable. It means celebrating someone else's joy as if it were your own accomplishment. I remember somebody asking me, as the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And I remember thinking, you know what? I can think of lots of people who would mourn with me, but I can't think of a lot of people who are humble enough to rejoice with me when something wonderful happens in my life because we're so competitive with each other. Not assuming you're always right, but carefully listening to critique. This was a hard lesson for me in life. You know, I can think back on many times people have confronted me or critiqued me, and I felt so defensive in the moment. But I look back today and I think, wow, I grew so much from that honest critique. What a gift. What a gift. Now, I've learned today to, to receive this because it helps me to become better as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a pastor, as a friend. It helps me to become more open to personal challenges, open to being wrong, apologizing to others for the mistakes we make, allowing others to shine, offering forgiveness to people who hurt me, and not being defensive, even when I'm falsely accused of something. I was going to give you kind of a funny illustration of what I'm talking about here. And it, it's just a small little little thing, but it, I think it extrapolates into what we're talking about. 
My wife, early in our marriage, it's not so much today, but early in our, in our marriage, one of her love languages was flowers. Now, I never knew I was Dutch, and actually I don't have Dutch blood in me, but I hate buying flowers because they die. You know, when the, the petals start to droop and fall, I see dollar signs. And, and so I just, I, it was so hard for me to buy flowers. It just seemed like such a waste of money. But see, what I was doing was I was loving Beth in the way I wanted to be loved. This is what we do all the time. We love people the way we want to be loved. We treat people sometimes the way we want to be treated, and their love language may be completely different. So I remember one time, it was our anniversary, and as a dad, what I would do is I would take each of my kids a different year, and I'd go out and buy a gift for my wife for our anniversary, <clears throat> and I want them to be with me to kind of model how important this is. And so I had Amy, who was about 10 at the time, and I had her with me, and we went to a flower store because I understood now this was about me. It shouldn't be about me. It's about her, <clears throat> what communicates value to her. So I went to the store, picked out this, Amy and I picked out this beautiful bouquet, and as I'm putting it on the counter to buy it, I see it, the perfect gift. It's a terrarium. You know what a terra terrarium is? It's in glass, right? It's a cactus. You can't kill a cactus. And I, and I thought, wow, this is great. And we had lived in Arizona for a while. This is, oh, it's kind of bringing us back to our roots a little bit. Oh, this is brilliant. Amy says, Dad, I don't think so. Oh, Amy, you just don't understand. I'm explaining to her why this is a great gift. And, and, I, and I remember bringing that thing home, and my son looked at it, and he says, he was 11 at the time, Dad, that's a swing and a miss. <laughs> I was still doing it. It's not about me. It's about her. It's not about what I value. It's about what she values. And friends, imagine if we took this lesson in humility and applied it to all of our relationships. What could happen? What could happen? I'm in touch with pastors around the country, and this last year has been hard on every leader I know. Every church I know. This has been a difficult season. And what I have found in talking to other pastors and watching um, webinars, being part of webinars, what I have seen is that we have, as a church, allowed this last year to fracture the church of Jesus Christ because we don't know how to honor and listen to one another. We are fighting over things that ultimately don't matter. The gospel is what matters. That's what matters. But what we have seen in the church of Jesus Christ over the past year, churches fractured over politics. Churches fractured over racial strife in our country. Churches fractured over COVID. Should I wear a mask? Shouldn't. Uh, should people have to wear a mask? Should people not have to wear a mask? Should people be indoors or should churches stay outdoors? These things are fracturing churches. Should I get a vaccine? Should people not get a vaccine? 
everybody has an opinion. But in the midst of it, the church of Jesus Christ is to remain united as we live out humility in our relationships with one another. Friends, this year should strengthen the church of Jesus Christ because the world is hurting and the world is looking for answers. And what they, are, what they need is a church that is unique, that is different, where people are different, but they know how in humility to love one another, to be committed to one another, to not allow that which is secondary to divide us. The only one who wins in that is Satan himself. We will not allow that to happen, amen? This is the church of Jesus Christ. And so Paul gives us the example of Jesus. And we don't have time to, to flesh this out, but read this. Jesus, his very, who in very nature is God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as a weapon to make us serve him. In fact, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If Jesus, the greatest person who ever walked upon the earth, saw himself first and for, foremost in humility as a servant, how should we see ourselves any different? We are to be servants of Jesus Christ. And then later in the passage, he gives us the example of Timothy. And I, I've always loved this picture of Timothy. He says, Paul says, I have no one else like him. Paul looks upon all of the disciples. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests. But not Timothy. Timothy looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Let us not lose what really matters. We are not here to build any kingdom. Not my kingdom, not the kingdom as much as I love the United States, not the kingdom of the United States. We are here to build the kingdom of God. And friends, that's what really matters. I want to close with this story. And I love this story. I'm reading a book right now by Simon Sinek, and it's called Leaders Eat Last. And he talks about a time when he was embedded with soldiers in Afghanistan. And I want you to hear what he said. He said, I learned from this experience that service means giving to others with no expectation of anything in return. How often do we live like that? We love with nothing, no expectation of anything in return. Here's the result. Fulfillment, calm, security, peace of mind, confidence, all come from a willingness to serve others. Because only when I decided that I would look after others did I find calm, security, and peace of mind. Now, that's not how we think. We think that all of that comes from being in control. No, it comes from humility. Listen to what he says. The rank of office is not what makes someone a leader. Leadership is the choice to serve others with or without formal rank. Leaders are the ones who run headfirst into the unknown. They rush into the danger. They put their own interests aside to protect us or pull us into the future. 
He says this, when I was in Afghanistan, everything on our trip went wrong. We actually got stuck there because the base came under rocket attack when I was there. And it was through this experience where I learned what service really means. And he goes on to talk about how people, nobody was looking out for themselves. They were looking out for each other to protect each other. What a picture of what the church should be. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the joy it is to be here today to, to learn to grow. Jesus, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ in this nation and throughout the world would be marked by humility, clarity in what we believe, but valuing each person, even when their views are different, loving them in the differences that exist, being committed to what is central, but giving room for individuality on the issues that ultimately do not matter. Jesus, challenge every heart, mine included, and where we are not living in humility. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.